Hey there, I uh, wanted to give you a quick update on the Patreon that I set up for this show. It's available at patreon.com slash roadwork. Uh, I wanted to thank all of you who have committed uh, your money to support us uh, about 1%, the 1%, you are the 1%, 1% of you so far, and I, I know the download numbers, so that's actually about 1.4% of you have committed a dollar or more to support the work that John and I are doing. So to you 1%, you are the best 1%, you're the real 1%ers, and we thank you and we appreciate it. And uh, it's nowhere near enough for me to tell John what I've done Uh I would be too embarrassed uh, for you on your behalf. I'd be too embarrassed of you uh, to tell him because I know that more of you can support the work that John and I do here, the important work that we're doing here on this show. So if you do have a dollar or a few dollars or as much as you want to donate to support this show on a monthly basis, please consider going to patreon.com slash roadwork. I would love to surprise him with something good with more than 1.4% of our listeners supporting us. Consider it, and we sure do appreciate it. We want to keep the show uh, running smooth with as few sponsors and maybe even no sponsors, uh, but we're kind of nowhere close. So if you like the show uh, and, and you like what John and I do here, support us. We appreciate it. Hello. Hello. <clears throat> Hello, Dan. How are you? How are you? Good. You got the coffee going in. I got some coffee. I've I've got uh, I've got everything I need here. I've got got bring a trailer up on the on the old website, and I've got my Mac Weldon's on, and I'm ready to roll. <laughs> nice. Yeah. What bring a trailer was that one site you were uh, you were really into? Well, yeah, I, I I'm only into about three sites. Yeah. And uh, one of them is this, yeah. But this is the one we talked about, and I'm looking at it right now on the on the cover or the front page, as you would say. They've got a home 19 ni- the home page. They got a 1965 Porsche 911. Do you say Porsche or Porsche? You know, I say I, I once upon a time said Porsche, mm-hmm. but I have said now Porsche for many years, like Porsche de Rossi. Yeah, right. Well, sure. I don't know. I don't know what that is, but is that a girl? It's an Porsche? actress. Yeah, she's an oh, actress. Yeah. Porsche. Yeah. I. I mean, you know, I've never had. In fact, wait a minute. I have. I've had a German person pronounce it to me, and even that wasn't definitive, right? Everybody's right. But but my feeling is that Porsche is what you say if you are a sophisticate, a car sophisticate. All right. And you say Porsche. I just. It sounds just very much like. Northern Idaho to me. Uh-huh. No offense to anyone in Northern Idaho who's listening to the program, but you know, you know what it's like up there. Right, sure. I don't have to, I don't have to tell you. Yeah. Porsche. 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 Well, this is a beautiful car, either however you want to say it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. A lot of beautiful cars on here. That's the problem. The problem is. Are you in the market? No. Oh, no. No. Every single uh, vehicle transaction that I have that I have participated in in the last mm, lifetime mm-hmm. uh, has been in one way or another, a, uh, like a bungle. I have bungled every single vehicle that's ever entered into my possession. And that's ever left generally like left at some velocity from, wow. from my ownership. Well, that's, and I read, I read on uh, bring a trailer all the time where somebody will say, 
I bought this 1967 Alfa Romeo GTV from this seller, and he couldn't have been more gracious, and the car was exactly as advertised, and he helped me transport it all the way around the world, and I just want to compliment the seller and say I couldn't be happier with my purchase. And I read these letters, and this is fairly regularly, and I read these letters, and I'm just like, wow, not a single time have I <laughs> purchased a thing where the seller had advertised it as, you know, where it was advertised as promised. And, um, and I got it home and was happy with the purchase and felt like I got a good deal and the seller was helpful. Uh, no, that's never happened. It's always some kind of, some kind of late night, just hand some money across in a dark parking lot, get, get the thing home and you find out it's full of worms or, I mean, I would love to find that it was full of cocaine or something. Somebody, it was a drug mule car, but it's never that. It's always full of bird's nests. <clears throat> it's terrible, Dan. I love cars, and I've never had, never had much success. Do you never think it's because the success. cars, the type of cars that you are looking into, that they sort of attract? A, you know, like if you're hanging out at like a bowling alley, a 24-hour bowling alley at 3 in the morning, you're going to meet a different crowd than like – a Saturday afternoon at, you know, one o'clock where the kids are having parties, you know, you make a good point. You make a good point. The, the, the problem is generally that I am buying inexpensive cars and those inexpensive cars are, uh, are generally not cars that other people want either. So, you know, like very few people, very few people wanted a mid seventies suburban so I didn't, I, it's not like I was competing against a, a big market, but also nobody had preserved those cars. They weren't right, sure. considered valuable. They were just workhorses. Um, and also all these people that are writing in saying, oh, my GTV is beautiful. It's like, right. I mean, these are things, these are like collectible cars that people are spending, first of all, a lot of money on. And they're members of a certain there's members of a certain clique. I mean, I see on this website all the time, somebody will post a car and it's $120,000. And the, and the punters on the website will be commenting furiously on whether or not the seatbelts are original and whether or not that is, that was the, right. you know, and they, and they all, they all are, <laughs> they say things like, well, I don't need to say anything about that tachometer. And then they're they're all like harumph harumph harumph, and I'm like I don't know what what what's what's the matter with it, you know? So there's there's a lot of insider knowledge, but then one of them will buy the car, and I'm I'm like whoa whoa whoa, we're not just all voyeurs here looking at these expensive cars. There are people on this website that are actually prepared to buy a hundred and twenty five thousand dollar car, right? And then the then the the um. The peanut gallery will say like, well bought, sir, and all this kind of, <laughs> wait a minute, you, and then somebody will say like, I've owned 15 of those cars and you couldn't have a better drive. And I'm like, oh, I'm just, I don't know how I stumbled into this culture here, but I, I'm a voyeur and they're all members of a, of like a rich older guy club is what they are. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And if I were a rich older person, I do not think that's, I would have to be very rich in order to spend my money on things like that. You know, I sit here and look, look at it, look at it. It's like, 
know, I don't spend a lot of time on porn sites, Dan, but I do spend a lot of time looking at cars that I'll never buy. I don't know. I feel like if you if you really if you struck gold, John, I feel like if you if if you know you all of a sudden like the back catalog of your music was going to be featured in a big big you know the new Transformers movie or something like going. I like where this is going. I like this a lot. Yeah, and they and they and they you know and the royalty checks just started pouring and pouring and pouring and pouring in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Go, go. I think you say would, it, I think you'd buy this Porsche. I think you would be on the site. You'd be, you'd be buying, car, you'd be buying cars. I think it's exactly what you'd be doing. Yeah, but that—that's the problem, right? The, the. Uh, it, it's funny how, uh, for me at least, how tantalizing the uh, strike gold narrative has always been, and I don't know if it's true of everyone. I know it certainly is true of a lot of people. It's why we buy uh, lottery tickets. But I'm sure there are also plenty of people out there who understand that it's very unlikely they're going to strike gold. They spend no time sitting and fantasizing about striking gold. And I, as time has wore on, like I used to take a lot of, I, I just, I derived a lot of enjoyment from kind of daydreaming about striking gold. Yeah. Now I'm starting to feel at this, at this point in my life that it's, it's really a drag. It just sort of, I still enjoy fantasizing, but it, it feels like I'm, it feels like I'm sitting and smoking opium in a way. Mm. Like I'm sitting there with my opium pipe and I'm dreaming of the day when my songs are used in a transformers movie. Yeah. And it isn't productive and maybe it even like wears away at me. Not in terms of like, I have no dissatisfaction about my life or my actual, the actual state of affairs, but just this, this dream state, it puts a certain portion of my, of my, my actually my life, you know, the, the life that I'm, currently engaged in it puts it over in this category this foggy category of not <laughs> not real yeah and um <clears throat> and so i mean I, there's no way that i'm ever going to be a practical person that logs on to the internet and <clears throat> someone says oh you should go look at this website of old cars and my response is I will never be able to afford one of those cars. Why would I go and look at them? Like, I'm not going to, I don't want to be that kind of person. <clears throat> but I also don't want to, I don't know, spend too much more time daydreaming about, about that, that moment where my cares are swept away by some, by, by striking oil in the backyard. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Uh, wasn't it Treasure I, Island though? Or what was the story where the, the boys are digging and digging and digging and they stop six inches right above the point where they would have found the buried treasure. Mm, yeah. You can't give yeah. up. You can't give up. You're, you're right. But, but I, but I do feel like a lot of that daydreaming isn't actually digging. It's just sitting on sitting on top of the treasure some, or maybe, you know, there, maybe there's no treasure. It's, I'm just sitting on top of a garbage can and, you know, whistling away, kind of in in a way, as content 
with the daydream as I would be, as I would be if I'd struck it rich. And what, what, what am I trying to accomplish? Right. I'm trying to accomplish a state of affairs where I can sit on a garbage can and whistle away, except it's a pile of money. So in a, in a way I'm already achieving that amount of just sort of like dreamy contentment. I'm, I'm not, I'm not a hundred percent sure how to continue to integrate my active daydream life, which has been a constant companion my whole life, how to continue to integrate it in a positive way into my, into my current, like total adulthood. There's no pretending now that I'm not totally an adult. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, just last, last time you were telling me how you, you are in, you've become invisible to young people and that should have been confirmation enough, but what has pushed you into this state now? Well, I'm not invisible to young people. My God, Dan, you said that you were invisible. I said, I feel like I'm, Oh well, of course I'm not. They, they, uh, they're out uh, waving my flag. No, Mm -hmm. it's, it's just that, uh, a large part portion of my, life has been devoted to daydreaming. And when I was young, it was a, it was a thing that like enlightened adults recognized that my daydreaming was an important component of who I was. It wasn't something that you could just, uh, you could just like hit me with a, with a birch branch Mm -hmm. and get me to stop doing it because at any point that I would come to rest, I would, you know, my eyes would kind of glaze over and I would be far, far away. And so some adults, about half the adults were like, chop, chop, hey, you know, wake up, what's going on? And half the adults were like, he's, you know, look, he's in a, like a very creative place right now. <laughs> yeah. This was the 70s, right? He's in a very creative place, you know, just leave him alone, let him do his thing. But daydreaming was always where I I retreated there. I um, some of my you know my some of my oldest friends are there, and that's been true consistently. There was really never a time as I made the transition through school and into you know into my life as a musician and so forth that I didn't have a, some large portion of my time spent in this uh, alternate universe. One of the great things about being in a touring band for me was that I did almost all the driving and that driving time, sometimes eight to 10 hours a day driving was a time that I could be piloting the vehicle and also in a, in this kind of state, you know, a a meditative away, an away Mm -hmm. state. And I'm certainly capable of driving all day and even, making chit chat with people, but really where I am is sort of this elsewhere. There is something about being on the road and driving that can sort of induce that state in there. Oh, Oh, it's so wonderful. It's so wonderful. It's just, you're driving through the middle of the country and you're looking out and I mean, whatever you want to imagine you can, but you know, I'm now, uh, I, I'm a, I'm a little bit afraid of it taking over 
Not, not that it's a, a, not that I'm in any more danger of it taking over now than I ever was, but it. I can picture myself being in retirement and just sort of spending a lot, spending a lot of time in a, a waking dream. And I've seen a lot of people in old age and in retirement who are just sitting in front of a television. And that's a, you know, that's not a thing that I aspire to do. But I also see people like who are 80, 90 years old who are still like really powerfully engaged in, in some ways in just the day to day. You know, those people that are 92 years old and they get up and they go to the grocery store and they come home and they, they do some gardening. And that's also mundane work. Right. In very, very, very few cases are we as a culture turning to the 92 year olds and saying, what's your current contribution? Like, come right, on, right. get your get your shit together, you know. <laughs> uh, but the but the ones we admire are or the ones that that you look at and say, like, wow, still healthy and still going strong. Look at you, 95 years old and still going strong. Yeah. You know what going strong means is that they they get up and do their chores, right? They just, you know, they put some cut flowers in a vase, they make some phone calls, answer their mail. And, and that seems like those are the people that you, uh, that you think ha- are still living a, a vibrant life. <clears throat> and what you don't, what you don't see are those, those people who have lived to that age who are sitting in a chair, staring out the window and well, I mean, what, at, at, when I'm 92, will I still be daydreaming about being a spy? <laughs> right, mean, will, like, will you have given up on, on that potentiality by then? I, I can't imagine. I, I can't imagine I will. No. Like when I was, uh, when I was a teenager, I imagined being a spy. And when I was in my twenties, I imagined being a spy. Now I'm in my forties. I'm still imagining being a spy. Um, I, I it's, inc- it's increasingly less likely that anyone will recruit me as a spy. It never was particularly likely. I didn't have the, I, it's sort of like me in government, right? I think that I have a great set of skills to be in government, but having tried to get elected to government, I realized, oh, it isn't a question of me having the skills I, that would, that would benefit government. It's that the people who control access to the government are not interested in my skills. In particular, I would have to <clears throat> develop an entirely different set of skills and one and skills that I, that I have avoided developing specifically intentionally devoided, avoided developing. Same with the people that control access to spy country. <laughs> they, they don't look at me and say, Hmm, this guy's a little bit out of the box. Like that's, they're not looking for out of the box. Right. That's, and I also think I would be a great, uh, and I talk about it all the time, but be a great corporate, um, board member. And I think I'd be a great college professor. And none of those organizations are spending any, they're not devoting any time to, um, recruiting people from outside their worlds. You know, the college professors, very college is very seldom will grant a, a, even like a, um, an instructor status 
to someone who is not an academic, but is like a practitioner. And it usually happens in something like business where somebody's, oh, you're a successful business person. We're going to have you come in and teach a class on whatever, you know, website building <laughs> or, you know, like you're a professional in your field and these are classes that are, that are very targeted professional classes will have you come in. But you know, they, you don't generally bring a lecturer in within the history department who has no advanced degrees, but just has spent a lot of time reading history books. Like that's not, that's not, it doesn't happen. Right. And, uh, so, and that's part of this daydream life, of course, that, uh, that I've always wanted to be a professor. I'd love to sit on the board of a company, but it's just a dream because it, <clears throat> not only am I not pursuing it, but there's really no avenue to pursue it. I suppose I could go start sending my resume around, but you know what my resume says? It's like worked at a bookstore and then never had a job again. <laughs> worked at a bookstore until he was 28. Right. And then never had a job again, ever. Not a single one. If you look at my LinkedIn page, it's like a uh, bass player. You have a LinkedIn page? <laughs> ah, yes, I do. I, <clears throat> I'm looking this it. up right now. I got it at a certain point when, when it seemed like, oh, well, you better go get, you better go secure. Look at you. Yeah. Remember that? Yeah, that's right. My, my LinkedIn page picture is me with Gene Simmons and, uh, a, um, not Ace Freely. Who am I talking about? Gene Simmons and Paul Stanley. I'm connecting oh. with you and I might just send you in mail too. Well, what you should do is go on there and give me those endorsements or whatever, because all, all the people that give me endorsements are like, John Roderick taught me how to use my magic wand. And it's like, come on, I'm, this is a serious place. Well, I just, I about- just sent you a connect request. So once you do that, I'll endorse, I'll endorse you yeah, like crazy. It's so like, look, this look at a- this, look at, look what you've got here. You've got a lot of things happening here. Mm-hmm. Keyboardist, bassist, Harvey Danger, <laughs> December 99 through 2001. Yep, that's right. One year. Roderick's One year, rendezvous. Base. Oh, well, we should put road work on there. Yeah, we got to get that on there, too. Let's, you know. And then you did there... that for a year. Then you were a singer-guitarist for Long Winters. That's up through present. So that's your longest position held. That's right. Longest position held, singer-guitarist. Uh, Ariella Robinson, who's the director of marketing at Domain Tools, yeah. uh, has said, John oh. is a detail-oriented manager who watches the balance sheet like a hawk without ever losing sight of that strategic objective. Uh-huh. There you go. And domain tools is a very, very, uh, you know, it's an up and coming internet security firm. Yeah. You have a number of really good reviews on here for the work that well, you've done. You know, get on there, Dan, and make some, uh, <clears throat> make some reviews because that, because LinkedIn, first of all, as you know, is the primary location of people online, um, having a, social media experience. It's the, it's the best of all the social media sites. I spend hours there because it's so easy to navigate. You know what I mean? And, and it's, and they're never intrusive. They never send you unwanted emails. They never try to trick you into friending people that it turns (laughs) out, turns out they, it turns out the person wasn't actually friending. It's, you know, you're going down and you're accepting requests and then suddenly you're, Clicking a button, which you think is accepting someone's request, 
but it turns out you've been duped into actually now you're requesting. Now you're asking people, you know, you're trying to friend people who haven't, who haven't friended you. They never do that no. where they dupe you into mm. being part of their cult. Um, so no, I go to LinkedIn once a year when I was running for office, my, um, my command staff said, listen, the entire business that you're trying to enter into happens on LinkedIn. Everyone is trying to figure out who you are on LinkedIn and you have a picture of yourself with Paul Stanley. Right. That's not professional. And so I went on there and I put a picture of me in a tie uh-huh. and I cleaned up my act. You know, I, I do think at one point my, my LinkedIn page said that I was a, a magic user paladin with a, <laughs> with a plus 21 charisma. And I took that down (laughs) because that was not appropriate for somebody running for office. And then the day I lost, uh, the primary here in the, in the election, I went back on and put my picture with me and Paul Stanley back up. Yeah, you must because go screw yourselves. Um, but no one has ever sent me a LinkedIn thing saying, you know, you seem to be exactly the kind of guy we're looking for. And that's the only reason I have a LinkedIn page is just, just for somebody wandering around and saying, this is the world I live in. Mm -hmm. I wouldn't send someone a Facebook, but I'm going to send someone a LinkedIn. Um, but so far still no, no bites. I like that. It says current Seattle music commission, Roderick on the line, the long winters, previous Roderick's rendezvous, Harvey danger. Mm-hmm. Education, mm-hmm. University of Washington. Right. Although I also went to Gonzaga and I went to. It's not listed. I went to Seattle Central Community College, which let me tell you, let me tell you, Dan, some of the best <laughs> education I ever got was at a community college. <laughs> so I'm just sorry. I'm looking at your skills section. Yeah. These are, are these are skills I'm assuming that people have endorsed you for. Would you like to hear? Right. This is going to be in order. I won't trouble you with the number of of votes for each of them but uh from the top down uh music makes sense right swords right social media social skills robert's rules of order absolutely strategy podcasting railroad design right straight talk yes thought leadership okay and then underneath that it says (laughs) john also knows about Right. Geriatric psychiatry. (laughs) (laughs) Locomotive. Mm -hmm. Sweaters. Global strategy. Food. Celebrity seating. Mm -hmm. Unicycle. Mm -hmm. Talking points and flamenco. Okay. Now, unicycle and flamenco are just people being weird. (laughs) Right. Those are the weird ones. But everything else (laughs) is pretty right on. Yeah. I know about all those things. Uh, <laughs> uh, I don't know anything about unicycles and I don't know a damn thing about flamenco. <laughs> How do you go about correcting that? Taking those, taking those off. I have no idea. I mean, I, uh, <clears throat> I have no idea there. I look at some people's Wikipedia pages, some people who are, you know, at the same sort of general level of, of, uh, media prominence as I am. And yeah. they have these beautiful Wikipedia pages with all of the things that they've done. And my Wikipedia page has always been just somebody putting, uh, a Cheerios in a t-shirt cannon and <laughs> right. 
shooting it into the air and my LinkedIn page, I have no idea how to, how to control how many people say, yeah, John Roderick's expertise is in swords. Um, I don't know if you can, you know, I want, I, I wanted to say that my expertise is in, uh, I mean, listen, do not lie and don't say that I have any expertise in project management because clearly I do not, but you know, big sky thinking and, you know, dynamic, uh, uh, insouciance, you know, these are things that I really, that I really possess. Dynamic insouciance is a thing that there should be more of in our corporate life. But I don't know. I don't even know if that's a thing. I don't know if you, I don't know if you have to have a thing that you click on or whether like, why does LinkedIn even have the option of swords? I think you can just type well, I think it's free form, man. I think oh, you can type whatever you want. Now, hold on. Now, if I click, let's see what you're saying. If I click on that swords, is there I'm, anybody else? I'm wondering if there's anyone else here. Hold on, I'm going back to it. Swords. Mm-hmm. Articles, experts, jobs, and more. Get all the professional insights you need on LinkedIn. Mm-hmm. Swords at a glance. 11,372 LinkedIn members have this skill. What? Swords? That's what it says. Ha! <laughs> so it is a thing. It apparently is. It is. You just, it's just like, now how many of those, <laughs> how many of those 11,000 swordsmiths are being, are, are having, uh, ironic sword skills attributed to them? Uh, yeah, I think that's probably a lot. I mean, do, am I sitting here right now, right this very minute, looking at my basket of swords, basket of swords do you and, own and, a sword? and pellet rifles? Um, yeah, the part of the reason that, uh, that I'm, that I'm having this attributed to me is that in the early days of Roderick on the line, I used to talk about, um, the fact that oh, I would go out in the middle of the night right, in my with bathroom, the sword. Yes. I remember that wave a sword around right. because I was trying to convince my neighbors to not trespass on my property. Now it didn't work. Someone finally did break into my house and, uh, and I felt like a, I felt like a dork for having spent all that time out. I mean, listen, wandering around your yard in a bathrobe waving a sword has its own rewards. It's not just about communicating to late night neighbors that you're a crazy person. It's also because it's it's fun and gratifying. So I don't regret a minute of it. But it didn't have the effect. I didn't happen to be out there waving a sword around when – that kid in a stolen car came and broke into the house and stole all my, all the things that weren't nailed down. Yeah. Um, and so <clears throat> there were a lot of things, you know, I spent a lot of money on an alarm system. I had, I had, um, uh, made, made a lot of cracks about booby trapping my perimeter. And it turned out that I was just another, just another cuck who got, Robbed not even by a criminal conspiracy, not even by, not even by a mastermind, but by, uh, like somebody smoking crank who I I have no idea. I still have no idea. I still have not unlocked the secret of that crime. Um, it seems like they just sort of pulled up across the street and waited for me to go to bed. And I, I don't know how long they were casing my place. Um, but there it is. And I feel like, uh, I feel like ever since then I've put the swords in the bastic and, and I just have resigned myself to being just as everyone else is more or less vulnerable to crime. 
Um, because in order to truly like batten down your home, you really have to live on the 40th floor of an apartment building. Like I have yeah. a good pal who has a beautiful two story loft. And when he leaves on long trips, which he often does, he locks the door and walks away. And as long right. as he doesn't leave anything on the counter that is going to rot, I don't see how he could be. I mean, the building is made of concrete, so it's not going to catch on fire. And he's just, he's, he's, he never has to think about it again. Um, and me, I, every time I walk away from my house, I expect to come back and find the entire house like full of capuchin monkeys because whatever, somehow like a, a, like a renegade troop of capuchin monkeys rolling through neighborhoods, breaking into things. I could not keep a monkey out of this house if one decided to get in. I mean, I'm surprised the crows don't, don't figure out how to pick the locks. Um, the raccoons, well, you know, the crows and the raccoons and I, obviously we have a, we have an arrangement. And there are raccoons who live right here on the property somewhere. And I don't disturb them. I don't go looking for their nest because I feel like we're cool, right? And so they're often in my tree. I see them at dawn and I see them at dusk. Um, and, but as far as like who in the, who in the neighborhood is, is, is thinking about, you know, the other day I was sitting in my bed it was the middle of the day, let's say. And there was a knock on my front door, which right away. <laughs> something's, something's wrong. I don't like it. Right. Who's knocking on my front door? But here's, here's what the knock was, ready? It was very, it was sort of quiet knock, and it was like. And I thought. It's a very okay, that's a, upbeat. Yeah. But it was about that loud. It wasn't like. It was very, you know, and I thought, <laughs> okay, that's a friendly knock. That's, that's a knock that suggests, uh, that we know one another. Sure. But nobody I know would be knocking on my door that way, right? If you were coming by my house, if you were stopping by, yeah, you'd text me. So I, I lay in bed and I'm like, mm, I don't. I don't like that. It's got to be somebody I know, but I don't want to go down and interact with them mm -hmm. because this whole thing smacks of trouble. Yeah. Were you awake at the time? Oh, yeah. 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 I was just laying in bed um, daydreaming about being a spy. Okay. And so I wait. And then again, the same. Same knock. Didn't increase in volume, didn't increase, didn't change the little pattern. It could have been, or whatever. It didn't get more jolly. Maybe if it had, maybe if the, maybe if it turned into like, or something, I would have been like, all right, <laughs> you, you've piqued my interest, mm -hmm. little drummer boy. But as it was, it just, then it was sort of like, is this your signature knock? Does this have nothing to do with me? It's still pretty quiet considering you're stopping by somebody's house in the middle of the day. It's not like a UPS person. It's somebody who's up to no good. And so 
<clears throat> then I really rude that I didn't have that I hadn't gone to Costco and bought one of those 20 camera security systems mm-hmm, mm-hmm. where you mount your little infrared cameras all over the place and yeah. then you can sit on your laptop and look at what's coming and going. I really regretted not doing that, which I only rarely do, you know, most of the time who cares, but, but, uh, and I think if I had that system and was traveling, I'd be looking at the, looking at my perimeter all the time and that's not healthy, but I wish I would, I wish I could call it up and be like, who's at my front door. Right. Anyway, I continued to lay there, you know, quietly without moving, even though I could have been doing jumping jacks up there, they wouldn't have, they wouldn't have been able to tell. And then nothing. They never, they never knocked a third time. So, you know, crisis averted. Yeah, really? But I came down later and looked, looked around the porch. There was no package. There was no note. So I'm confirmed in, in thinking that it was, it was some kind of, couldn't have been that important, right? They didn't have my number to text me and their friendly knock didn't entice me and they didn't leave a note or any sign that they'd been there. So, and they didn't break in, right? So then there was, then there was about an hour where I, uh, laying there in bed was like, now what am I going to do if I hear a window break or, you know, what if this is some kind of, some kind of prelude to breaking in? Like, want to buy some Girl Scout cookies? Right. You know, hey, hey, neighbor, I was just not just stopping by. I wanted to talk to you about Jehovah. Nope. Nobody broke in. Um, and, you know, trying to decode, and this I always thought was a strength, trying to decode the vehicles out front. Like, oh, he's here when this car is here, but he's not here when that car is missing. But you can't do that because there's always cars coming and going. It's never, sometimes there are no cars out front and yet I'm totally here. Sometimes, uh, places full of cars out front and I'm not here. Right. But this is part of the ruse that you keep. They always say never keep a straight schedule, never do things at the same time of day or in the same way. Always keep people guessing. Like you never want them to know, never, never let them know what to expect. But that ruse didn't work because, because I was, I guess, vulnerable to somebody who is just crime of opportunity guy. Yeah. I still can't, I still can't imagine how that person had the fucking balls to break into my house when I was here. I mean, it's people will do anything. I know enough about meth heads to know that it is possible to meticulously plan something when you're a meth head. Yeah. The problem is that, that the, uh, Amphetamine racing through your brain does not allow you to know the difference between a proper amount of meticulousness and a ridiculously exaggerated amount of ridiculous or of, of meticulousness. Right. So, a meth head making a plan for a burglary would, I think, generally get very bogged down at some point in over detail. So they would say, "All right, I'm going to pull up outside. I'm going to look at the, I'm going to look at the front of the house." And I'm going to wait for the lights to go off. And then I'm going to make sure that the overhead light in my car doesn't go on. And that requires when I open the door and that requires that I take the light bulb out, but I don't have the right tool to get the light bulb out. So I need to go to the hardware store to get a screwdriver to get the light bulb out of the inside of my car door. In which case, and then you know what I mean? Like they would just get lost 
in some unimportant detail and their plan would fall apart or they'd never be able to implement it. So although a meth head can make a meticulous plan, it seems like for them to have succeeded in robbing my house, because we know that the burglar was on meth because that's how they got caught. Right. They got caught with the meth pipe in the parking lot. So it had, I, I can't, see a world in which it wasn't more or less a crime of opportunity. Like, ah, I need some money to get more meth and here is the house and it looks nice and in I go, which is just bananas. I just feel like, I just feel like I would, in a way I would pay all the things that I eventually got back from the robbery. I would give all the robbery back to him if I could just float above that scene mm. reading his mind and watch what happened because it's the type of thing that I cannot defend against because I cannot understand it. You know, it's, that's the, that's why, that's why all of our, all of our national anti-terrorism campaigns, all of our TSA and all of our, you know, all this crazy expense and, and work and treasure we spend, um, trying to, you know, defend against terrorism is just mostly balderdash because we, the, the successful terrorist act is always the one you don't, you, you, you could never have predicted who could have predicted nine 11. You couldn't have done it. All the best minds could not have done it. And that's and this was my personal 911. You could not imagine somebody coming in the, you know, in the house. Right. While I was there, it just right. it wasn't wasn't feasible. So, uh so now, you know, now I I feel like when I go on my LinkedIn page and it's like expert in swords, I feel like it's mocking me. A little bit. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's not not that the person intended to mock me, right? It's just that it's no, they it's, didn't. They meant it in a fun, happy kind of a way. But yeah, of course, it's just there's a uh, undertone of sadness now when you think about that. Yeah, every time I set my monotronics as I walk out the door, I'm like, this is just a this is just a shame. This is just mocking me now, the security system. But the long and the short of it is. I'm, I'm, I'm trying to transition. I'm trying to transition some of my dream state. I'm trying to do a little bit of that, that leave it, uh, to it where I, where I feel myself sort of off. I go into a, into a magic land and then I recognize it and I say, Hey, now, you know, it's not even that you have more important work to do right now, but just generally you have, you have more to do than, to just slowly fade into a, you know, into a state of late middle age right. where you're in your rocking chair with your corn cob pipe and, you know, and, and dreaming about what it would be like if you could go back in time and control and be the captain of the USS enterprise on December 7th, 1941. Like, is that, what is that? You're never going to share that dream. It's not like I'm working on a screenplay. No one will ever know about it. I, 
if I hadn't mentioned it here, right. it would have gone to my, it would have gone into, uh, into the great quiet when I died. Mm-hmm. And so many, and this is one of the things, you know, when my dad died, you just wonder like all the daydreams he had in the course of his life, all tears and rain now. And so <laughs> com- commanding the USS Enterprise on December 7th, 1941, and what I would have done had I, had I known or, you know, or go back to 1979, but with an operable iPhone that mm. still was connected to 21st century right. internet. Right. With and the, what kind of data we have. Yeah. Oh my God. Uh, what, what, the, what is that? What am I, what am I adding? What am I adding to my own catalog? What am I adding to the, to the world's catalog? I mean, I'm astonished that there hasn't been frankly a screenplay about somebody able to maintain connection to the internet through time. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think about time travel all the time. Well, sure, we all do, or at least those of us who sit around thinking about time travel. And that's the problem. It's like if you if you were going to be going back in time, you couldn't, you know, like, wow, well, if I had my iPhone. No, your iPhone wouldn't, unless you wanted to, like, download tons of stuff into, you know, iBooks or something. It's not going to work for you that well, that long. No, it would be a solitaire deck. Yeah. yeah. I feel like, you know... I'm a very, very strong believer that if you go back in time, that you can do people like, oh, don't do this, don't do that. No, you can do what, here, listen to me about this. All right. You can do, John, when you go back in time, you can do whatever you want Mm -hmm. because you've already done it. Don't give me alternate timelines. That's absolute crap. That's, I don't put any stock in alternate timelines. What does that mean? You don't believe in multiple multiple universes? I believe in multiple universes. I just don't believe you you're going to create them by going back in time. I believe it's a single a single deal. There might be millions and millions of other Johns and Dans doing this show right now. Yeah, let's hope. I hope so, yeah. But I don't think that if you so let's say that we have a time machine, we figure it out. And you and I are like, "All right, let's go. When do you want to do it?" We pick our, you know, our favorite time period. And we turn the dial back and we go back. We can do whatever. We want to go rob a bank. Let's rob a bank. You want to go get some, you know, old comic books to bring forward in time with us to trade out or just read, you know, <laughs> I that's, I don't think that's that fine. Be high on my list, but I yeah, mean, I, I would do that. I would totally do that. You want to go get some, some like really cool, like early seventies Seiko watches. Yes. You know, all this stuff that's on my list of stuff I want to do. Yeah. Or even just, oh, I always hated, you know, I always hated that school. You just want to chuck a rock through the window. Whatever it is you want to do, you can do whatever you want. You don't need to worry about changing the future. These because are weird fantasies. Dan. You would have always done those things. You would have always done those things. Uh-huh. Anyway, you've already done them. You've done them in our current existing timeline. Yeah. You just hadn't done them yet. But now yeah. you have done them. They have always happened. Yeah. So it's not like you can mess something up or like accidentally kill, wind up killing your your parent so that you're never born that's not going to happen you can do whatever you want time will fix right. itself right right you because you've about, already, you've been, already been back you've already done it or else you wouldn't right, be see. there to go back in time you've already always have gone back in time there was already yeah. a john and dan back in the early 70s as adults 40 something men windows exactly getting the comics right i see because we've yeah, already done that. We just haven't gotten to the point in our lives yet where we've done it. 
Sure. The big comic heist of 1970. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> right. That's all. It already exists. Now, whatever happened to that paper thing that was b- buried in the yard in the, someone's backyard or something. Oh shit. I forgot all about that. Thank you. You know, I'm going to Alaska today. I thought I saw you saying something about that. Yeah. After I get done with our podcast. So I woke up this morning and I uh, woke up this morning, but no, no, no. And I, <laughs> uh, and I realized that I didn't have any clean underwear. Uh, because Talk about what, needing time travel, right? Well, you know, this is, a, this has been a, a problem lately because I've always had ample underwear. Um, and, uh, you know, and, uh, the, like the silver lined Mac Weldon underwear yeah, that, we I, that, that I added to my collection really like put me over the top. <laughs> and, but I was living half time in Venice, California have been. And so I took a lot of underwear down to California. Well, speaking of, uh, of your underwear situation, uh, and your Mac Weldon's that is our sponsor today it is mac weldon oh is that right that is correct and uh you have you i think your experience with mac weldon is uh probably pretty typical that you order some underwear from mac weldon it has it's silver underwear so it's the antimicrobial kind it has the silver woven through it and you think i'm going to keep this underwear forever this is going to be my main thing this is going to be my go-to and then your uh, significant other comes and puts it on and, wear, and you never see it again. Yeah, she stole them. She still has them all after all this time? Oh, yeah. Oh, wow. She's, she, uh, <clears throat> she wears them all the time. And, uh, and, and just that's, an, I, that's an attractive look, I have to say. You, you, you're, I think that's, that was like an 80s thing, the late 80s, early 90s thing with women wearing the men's b- bikini briefs. When did that start? Was that from a movie? Was there a famous movie I'm thinking of where that happened? Bikini briefs? Yeah, the men's, not boxers, but like the bikini brief style ones. Um, well, I think that it's a, um, my understanding of bikini briefs underwear for men is that it is a European fashion. Uh-huh. And that... Boxer briefs, uh, bikini briefs. These are different. These are all different. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In in America, we always wore what we refer to as tidy whiteies. <laughs> yes. Right. Just <laughs> Y front white cotton underpants. Right. But certain kinds of preppy people, old fashioned people, wore boxer shorts, right. which were just cottony boxer shorts. And I remember very distinctly when I went away to college, I had always worn tidy whitey underwear like every normal kid. And I had been reading the preppy handbook or something, and I realized that preppy college people wore boxer shorts. And so I insisted on boxer shorts. And suddenly I was in this new world of boxer shorts where um, boxer shorts kind of, you know, they don't really fit. If you're wearing tight jeans, you can't also squeeze boxer shorts in there. Right. And so for decades, I wandered around with, you know, trying to tuck my boxer shorts down in my pants. But that was just the nature of shorts. I, I, I guessed I couldn't go back to tidy whiteies. And then I went on my walk across Europe and boxer shorts are a terrible athletic underpants. 
I'm walking, walking, walking long distance, many, many no, hours a day. Good. That's not good. And, oh, the boxer shorts are just getting all tangled. So I went into a department store in Germany, which was called the Schutzenhaus or something. <laughs> and, uh, and I went into the underwear section and I realized that most of the underwear they had there were bikinis, like what we affectionately refer to as banana hammocks. Mm. Um, not, not very much underwear at all, frankly, but I bought several pairs of this bikini underwear because I needed a new solution and I found that they were tremendous athletic underpants and I really, I really liked them. You know, they, they do the, they do the underwear job with a minimum of fuss. When I came back to the States, I could not. For the first several weeks I was back, I continued to wear my German underpants. And then little by little, I just realized, you know, I just threw encounters with people who uh, were lucky enough to see my underwear. I just realized like, oh, this isn't what we wear here. But at that point, they had invented this miraculous new kind of underpants, which was boxer shorts made out of the same material as briefs. Right. Like tight fitting, but shaped like a boxer, boxer briefs. And, uh, that was like a revolution in underwear technology for men. As far as I can tell now, um, your choices are tidy whities boxer briefs or boxers. And generally boxer briefs are the boxer briefs are the sensible choice. I think so too. Or is that what you're wearing? Boxer briefs? Yeah. I, I think that's probably the only kind of underwear I even own. Mm-hmm. I don't think there's any, like my son who's nine, he's got some of both. He's got, but I would say 75, 80% are the, are the boxer briefs. I don't think we've ever brought briefs in intentionally into the yeah. house. Yeah. Who knows where he found them? But I think there's still a place for that. I could think in the, in a hotter, warmer climate, if you're doing a lot of athletic stuff, I could see going for a br- pulling a brief out. Well, so the Mac Weldon's that I ordered, some of them are actually in the, the tidier, whitier style. Did they're you get in, white ones, true white ones? No, no, no. They're good. They're all these wonderful colors of like rose and you know, like, like decorator colors. Um, so I did order those superior Lake. And I, and I really enjoyed them. The, uh, the, the higher cut leg, let's call it. Yeah. But that's, that's why my underwear got stolen by my millennium girlfriend. <laughs> Cause they were because, too, they were too good. Yeah, they were, they were, you know, I don't think she would have stolen a pair of boxer briefs, but because I had these, uh, these smaller briefs, she was like, Oh, those are cute. And off they went, you know, and yeah. I, and I made the mistake of getting them in rose and pink and so even more reason that she, I mean, I don't think it was a mistake. I think they're lovely in that color, but, uh, so did she. Well, you can, you can go to MacWeldon.com and get 20% off if you use the promo code roadwork, one word, and that will support the show and, uh, go, go to, if you had to recommend to our listeners, is there a, a John Roderick suggested pair to get? Would it be the boxer briefs? And then what, what color? Rose, Rose. Or whatever that, whatever that pinky pink is. Bossa Nova. 
Yeah, it's so nice. All right. I'll it's really put, nice. I'll put that in the show notes then. Yeah. Very heathery. Thanks to Mac Weldon. Use a code ROADWORK for 20% off. MacWeldon.com. And as I said before, uh, my millennial girlfriend stole all my Mac Weldon underwear because it somehow miraculously fit her as well as it did me. <laughs> but what that means is I've, I'm, working, I'm working in a half underwear economy here. And so I often get into a situation where, oh, I don't have any clean underwear. I was, I was using underwear at a pace where I thought I had twice as much underwear. And so I'm leaving for Alaska. I'm leaving for Alaska like, I mean, as soon as we get off this program, I'm going to throw some stuff in a bag and I'm going to grab my daughter under my arm and off we go. But it's not so simple because it's cold in Alaska yeah. and we're going up there for the fur rendezvous. So we're going to spend a lot of time standing outside in the cold. So it's not just like throw a hat in there because you're going to run from the car to the hotel. It's like you have to be ready to spend, stand all day in the cold. So I got up, I ran downstairs, I threw all my underwear in the laundry. It's now, it's now percolating in there. I'm going to, I'm going to grab it out, throw it in the dryer. And then I'm, I'm, you know, I'm off to the races. I'm, I'm, uh, I'm sporting Joe today. So, uh, so it's, you know, like I've got, I've got a, I've got a lot on my plate right now that I'm, that I'm thinking about. And I, and I don't, I, I, this, uh, this, this, this trip to Alaska, it's, it's, it's creating in me like a, um, it's giving me a little bit of the Alaska schism. Like I'm, I'm going back to, I'm going back to the home country and when I'm there, I'm in a very, very different mindset. What happens to you? Well, it's a foreign land, Alaska. And when you return, like I, I speak the, uh, I speak Alaskan and I, and I think like Alaskans. So the fact up, the fact right now that up there, there are innumerable people walking around with hats that include the complete taxidermied head of the animal, the, the animal that produced the fur to make the hat. So it's not just like I have a fox hat. It's that I have a fox hat with the actual head of the fox on top of it with its fangs bared like a, like a little fur rug, except it's a hat. Right. And this is a whole thing. This isn't like a, what's the matter with this guy? It's like a whole thing. There are people with bobcats and full on wolves, like a wolf head on top of your hat. And down here in Seattle, that would horrify people. Mm-hmm. If you walk down the street with a hat that had a bobcat, like a like actual bobcat head on it, right. it would horrify people. Yeah, Imagine that in San Francisco or you know Ann Arbor, Michigan. It would horrify people. But in Anchorage, it's like you're. It's a competition. Who's got the craziest animal head? Mm-hmm. Uh, and it doesn't take very long at all to assimilate to that culture where you're like, yes, absolutely. Totally normal. And for me, it, it took like, I, I went on and Googled like for a rendezvous just to see what, what days, like what day the outhouse race was, what day the reindeer challenge was or whatever, what day the fur auction was. And uh, all of a sudden I'm looking at pictures of these people with bobcats on their hats 
And I'm like, oh, right. I mean, it took me, it took me like two minutes of looking at this atrocity to realize like, oh, that's right. That's, uh, that's how it is. That's where I'm going. And I have, I have a ridiculous fur hat or two from my years of, of, uh, living in a fur economy. So, but I'm, you know, I'm taking my little girl up there. Of course she'd. Is this every, her first trip up there? When she was first born, there was a little, I had a little bit of, had a little bit of melancholy because I always regretted not having been born in Alaska. Hmm. It up there, it really matters to people. And it's not a thing that anybody would say like, you know, well, you know what, this matters. But, but when you're, when you are talking to people and they're like, are you Alaskan? And you go, yes, I'm Alaskan. And they go, Hmm, where were you born? Mm -hmm. And you know, being born in Seattle is as close to being Alaskan as you can be, but that it does not count. In fact, it's like two strikes against you born in Seattle because Seattle, Seattle, let's be honest, colonized Alaska. And Alaskans love Seattle and hate Seattle. Seattle is, in a lot of ways, the biggest city in Alaska. But Alaskans despise that idea because Seattle, like, built itself on the riches of Alaska and continued to do it and would still be doing it if Alaskans hadn't dug their heels in at a certain point and said no more. But then there's nothing they can do because, of course, it's still, like, Alaska Airlines is headquartered in Seattle. So is Nordstrom. And these are, like, big big parts of how Alaska gets their work done. Right. Um, but not being, not having been born in Alaska, uh, like affected me growing up up there because it was just, it just was a little bit of a delegitimizer. And so I was a little bit sad that I hadn't secured for my daughter the unimpeachable future of taking, you know, of going up there to have her having my daughter in a, in a, uh, hospital in Alaska. And the problem was this was not a thing I could convince anyone else. I could not convince my daughter's mother that she needed to take a flight in her last week of her yeah, really. to ensure that her daughter was born in Alaska. That wouldn't have made any sense to her, but it's a little bit of a, a regret. So after she was born, when she was what, two months old, I said, we need to go to Alaska because having not been born there, it's already a ding on her, on her record. But if I go up there and I dip her little baby feet in some cold Alaskan streams, <laughs> um, then later on, if she wants to go up there and try and make her way, try and make her fortune in the great land, she will be able at least to counter those rolled eyes, counter those, those Alaskan sneers mm. By saying, well, my, the first time I came to Alaska, I was two months old. My dad came up to dip me in the river. Yeah. That's, that's pretty gonna, legit. It's yeah, but it's not gonna, it's, it's not the same as being born there, Yeah, but you know, you could probably get elected to public office with that story where people would go, <laughs> hmm, all right. Okay. <laughs> all right. That's fair. So she has been there once she went when she was you know, still when she was still like a, her skin was still puckered from infancy. I took her up there and I did, I walked around, I dipped her in every, in every uh, wild river I could find. 
much to the consternation both of the baby and her mother. Like, why are you dipping? The, it was still sp- spring. It was, you know, it, the snow was mostly gone, but the rivers were cold. But yeah, it's a, you know, it, it makes you hearty, makes you hail. Yeah. And she is very hearty, hail little baby. But this is the first time she's been up there in the winter. And honestly, it's the first fur rendezvous I've been to since the early 90s. It's just not, it's not a time you ever think to go to Alaska. That's why they have a big festival in, you know, in the middle of February. They have a festival in the middle of February because there is nothing else going on up there. And I just didn't, I mean, even, even though I've been back many times in January, it just never, February 23rd, that's not a time that you visit Alaska. But I, I, I elected to do it this year, and I've got to get a bag packed in an hour that includes the kind of foul weather gear. And the thing is, it's going to be a beautiful week. It was 17 degrees two days oh ago. Oh, my God. And it'll be 12 degrees two days after we leave. But this weekend, it's going to be 30, 33 degrees all for the next three or four days, which is just like, couldn't ask for better. Just at freezing. So everything's like sunny and nice and soft and, you know, more or less warm, but still frozen. It's not melting. It's not turning to, it's not turning to gunk. So that's my, that's my afternoon in a nutshell. Wow. Well, you better you better get going. Well, yeah, I'd better get going. I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I'm, I'm currently feuding with Delta Airlines, so it's it's affecting the joy that I have. In tr- that that the, the for the last year or two, I've I've felt like some some excitement around going to the airport because Delta and I had arrived at a. At a friendly relationship, I decided like a detente. Yeah, you know, I went to war with United Airlines, and still, that's that's a lifetime feud. Never going to fly them again. <laughs> no, American Airlines just seems like a fine. It's they're fine. They're yeah. nice people. I don't. I got nothing against them, but I don't get on an American Airlines flight and think this is good. And. Will you do that with Delta or you were doing that? Well, you know, Virgin Airlines is fun, but it's like, it's like a toy airline. Right. And Alaska Airlines is the one that I, that, you know, that I grew up with. I should, I should be a, a dedicated Alaska Airlines person, but Alaska doesn't fly to Paris and Alaska doesn't fly to Sydney, Australia. Like you need a big boy grown up airline if you're going to do international travel, our good friend, Jason Finn just got on an airplane to China two days ago. And he sent me a, he sent me a photograph of his boarding pass and he got upgraded to first class on a flight from Seattle to China because he maintains his frequent flyer status and look at him go. He's a big wheel. So I was, you know, I was enjoying cultivating the John Hodgman also Delta Big Wheel. He got diamond medallion. Oh, status. that's is that the top? Is that the best you can get? That's the one where I mean, I'm sure there's some kind of black diamond status, but 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 diamond status is where 
you get off the airplane and they're waiting at the gate with a Porsche. What? To drive you across the tarmac, the tarmac so you don't miss your connecting flight. Oh, my God. That's the kind of world that, the, wow. that, these, that my friends are living in. And so I got this lowly silver status, but I was proud of it. You know, sure. I was getting little, yeah, I got little nothing. upgrades. I got nothing. Yeah, exactly. So you still these little upgrades, these puddle jumping flights. Big time. But I, I was flying first class on these things. I was working at it. I was building it up. And then Delta... Or on you know the, the they control their little mileage programs with this penny pinching nickel and dime sort of uh, small mindedness and on some kind of technicality I got the right number of MQMs but I didn't get the MQDs or some bullshit they've deprived me of my silver status mm. and so I wrote them quite a long letter of protest, but it's still pending. The letter of protest has gone out, but they have not replied yet, which means that I'm flying today with, here's how they, here's how they refer to you. Like, thank you. Valued customer. No, right away. That's, it used to be like that, you know, thank you. Silver medallion, you know, like (laughs) junior ace, give you a little, give you the little wings. (laughs) You've shot down two enemy fighters. You're a junior ace. Right, yeah. And now it's just like, thank you, valued customer. And I feel like spitting on the floor. But the problem is if I go, if I get into a feud with these guys, there just aren't that many more airlines. I can't get into a feud with them. What am I going to do, fly KLM from Seattle to Los Angeles? I mm. can't do that. I, can, I mean, obviously I can go back to Alaska, but then I'm dividing my miles. Like what if I fly to Odessa? Odessa, Ukraine. I always want to go. What if I fly to Odessa? I, I have some. I have some items from Odessa. You do? Yes. How? Uh, so we have some uh, teddy bears from Odessa. Yeah. They, we found these on Etsy, and I got one for each of my kids. They're very, very well made, and they came all the way from from Odessa. Mm-hmm. So I don't blame you for wanting to go there. It looks quite beautiful there. Well, yeah, it's one, it's one of the cities on my list. Odessa, Ukraine. Now, how are you going to get there without Delta? Yeah. What am I going to put my miles on? Uh, did I tell you the time, uh, I, uh, Jonathan Colton and I went to, uh, went to Niger with our good friend, David Reese. Jonathan not only got upgraded to first class again, Delta yeah. on our flight from New York to Paris, he got upgraded to first class and took David with him oh my God. <laughs> to first class on a flight from Paris to Naimi, Niger. Wow. Which is like a very long flight. And it was on Air France. Not but even, Air, not even Delta. No, but the Air France is friends with Delta and off they go. Mm. And I'm sitting back in steerage with people that have like, uh, like bamboo baskets full of geese and they're up there in the front. Who knows what? Hula girls or something. And they're just, they're spilling <laughs> bourbon on the floor because they can. So you know, that was the, that was the, that was the moment where I was, and you know, and uh, obviously Jonathan is a smug son of a bitch. So he just smugged me to death. Oh, yeah. It wasn't just that they went up to first class. It was that they turned around and smugged me. They, you know, they just 
covered the whole back of the plane with a blanket of blue smug. Anyway, so I'm very upset, but this is a classic example of really, this is your worst problem. Your, your medallion status on an airline. This is the problem you're complaining about. You know, people are working in uranium mines. People are knee deep in mud in a diamond mine in, uh, you know, in the Congo. And I'm like, Oh boy, I don't have any clean underwear. And I, and my medallion status is gone. <laughs> 